Well, friends, listening family, we have some incredible theology today on Walk in Truth. We're going to look at Colossians 1, 15 through 19. It is some of the grandest theology in all the Bible. And it is about the identity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. Some groups out there twist these scriptures, but this section emphatically declares that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is God. Stay tuned to Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. He is the image of the invisible God. He came to reveal God to us. He's not simply just a portrait of God. He is God. He has the personal characteristics and distinguishing marks of God. One writer says there's a painting in a palace in Rome by René. It is is painted into the ceiling of the dome over 100 feet high. To stand at the floor level and look upward, the painting seems to be surrounded by a fog, which leaves its contents unclear. But in the center of the great dome room is a huge mirror, which in its reflection picks up the picture. By looking into the mirror, you can see the picture with great clarity. Jesus Christ, born in a manger at Bethlehem, is the mirror of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, this is what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. You might want to write down John 1.18. No, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him or has declared him. John 1.18, the word explained him or declared him is where we get the English word exegesis. Sometimes when I say exegesis, my wife says, would you please explain to the people what you mean by that? Here's what it means. When you exegete a passage, you bring out the meaning of the passage. You reveal the meaning or substance of the passage. A pastor is supposed to be good at exegesis, not eisegesis. Exegesis is to let the passage speak for itself, to bring forth what is there in substance. Eisegesis is to read something into the passage that's not there. Jesus is the exegesis of God. He explains the Lord. He explains the Father. He reveals him to us. So that when you see Jesus in the Gospels, you see the Father. You see the heart of the Father. You see what he's like. Now, Let's be clear, and this is some difficult sledding for our minds. Jesus is not the Father, though. There is a distinction between the Father and the Son. When Jesus prays to the Father, he is literally praying to another personality. That's where we get the Trinity. Within the triune God, there's three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this is what the Bible is teaching us, that Jesus Christ is the perfect representation of God to men so that we can know and we can understand who God is. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. The writer of Hebrews affirms this truth, Hebrews 1, when he says these words, Hebrews 1.1, Hebrews 1.1. I'll give you a second to turn there. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, Hebrews 1, 2, has spoken to us in his son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus the Son, verse 3, Hebrews 1, is the radiance of his glory. And what's your Bible say? The exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father. This word in Greek, exact representation, is character with a K in the middle instead of a C. It means an exact impression, a precise precise reproduction, and Jesus is, you could say it this way, the exact impress of God. Although man is the icon of God, go back to uh, Colossians chapter 1, man is made in the image of God. We see that in the book of Genesis and other places. Um, he, fall, he fell. And so Jesus Christ, you could say it this way, because he is both God and man, is the exact representation of God to us, and he is also a perfect man. We want to be careful here, but here's what we could say about this. Jesus Christ, as we watch him in the Gospels, is everything that man was supposed to be. Man was supposed to glorify God in all of his actions. He was supposed to have a direct connection with his maker. He was not to be separated by sin from God. And so we have to be careful here because Jesus did miracles and all of that because Jesus is God, but Jesus is everything that man is supposed to be as well, the perfect man and, of course, 100% God. I know that this is some hard stuff to get your mind around, but this is what the Bible teaches. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, the firstborn there is a word called prototype. Prototokos. <laughs> There's a big debate on how you say it. I've heard it say, say prototokos or prototokos, but there you go. So, firstborn. Now, here's what Jehovah's Witnesses have said. With all due respect to our Jehovah's Witness friends, they come to the door, and this is one of their pet texts. And they say, you see, Jesus Christ is called the firstborn, so he must be the first one born. And in their literature, they compare this word firstborn. If, if it's said that there's the firstborn of Pharaoh, then he's the first one born, right? Wrong. Because in Jewish uh, life and also in the Greek world, the firstborn often was not the first one born. Jacob took precedence over Esau. Was he the firstborn? No. Isaac took precedence over Ishmael. Was he the firstborn? No. The firstborn was the one that was given the place of rank or preeminence or superiority. The firstborn got a double portion. If Jesus Christ is literally the firstborn, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would like us to think, and here's what they've done, this is a little bit from history, they've picked up what's called the Arian heresy. There was a man way back in church history called Arius of Alexandria, and he taught that Jesus was the first and greatest creation of God. He was perhaps a high-ranking angel. Uh, he was a great one, maybe even a lesser God with a small g, but he was simply created. He was a great creation, but he was created. Arius, for that teaching, got kicked out of the church. The Jehovah's Witnesses in the 1800s picked up this teaching 
And this is one of the texts that they, they go with. They say that Jesus, somewhere back before the physical creation was made, was the first and greatest creation of God. How does that reflect the word firstborn, though? I mean, if you're going to take firstborn literally, wouldn't that mean that Jesus would have to have been born somewhere way back when? I'm not talking about Jesus being born to Mary in the manger. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somewhere way back in the distant past, even before creation occurred. Was he literally born then? No, he wasn't. And so that's not even what the Jehovah's Witnesses are saying. So what does the word firstborn mean? Well, in their book, Reasoning from the Scriptures, the Watchtower Society argues that the word firstborn indicates that Jesus is the eldest in Jehovah's family of sons. Indeed, the book says the term firstborn occurs over 30 times in the Bible, and in every case that it is applied to living creatures, the firstborn is part of a larger group, just as the firstborn of Pharaoh refers to the first one born to Pharaoh. So is Jesus the firstborn uh, or created by Jehovah, they say? In the book, The Greatest Man Who Ever Lived, a Jehovah's Witness book, we read, Jesus was a very special person because he was created by God before all other things. Now, this is interesting because if you read the text closely, Colossians calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation, not the firstborn of Jehovah. Listen to this argument. Thus, the JW argument makes no logical sense. If we are to draw a direct parallel between the firstborn of Pharaoh and the firstborn of all creation, then we must conclude that creation parented Jesus. But indeed, this is the reverse of what actually happened as the context of the passage clearly demonstrates. For in the very next verse, we find that, that Christ parented creation, not creation parenting Jesus. See, it says, it says here that he's the firstborn of all creation. So does that mean that creation parented Jesus? Well, look at the next verse. It says, for by him, Jesus, how many things? All things were created both in the heavens. Look at how sweeping this is. And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and notice for him. Jesus Christ has created everything. He can't be a creation if he is the creator, can he? And the answer is no. So what does the term firstborn then mean in context? It simply means this, that he has high rank, that he is over the creation, that it all belongs to him, that he is the heir of it all. This is what the passage is actually teaching. If you go to John 1 for a second, John 1, as John picks up the idea of the logos or the logos that came into the world, John 1, verse 1, here's what he says. And just so you know, there's other places where this is emphatically stated. John 1, 1 says these words. In the beginning, John 1, 1 was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Notice what it says, John 1, 3. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, if you look at verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that the word is Jesus in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being by Him. What John 1.1 is teaching is that 
Before the beginning began, Jesus was there. Here's why. You can't be the beginner of creation and not be there before the beginning began. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... What are you wrestling with in your life? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's no secret the Christian life is difficult, but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone. In Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being by Him. What John 1.1 is teaching is that before the beginning began, Jesus was there. Here's why. You can't be the beginner of creation and not be there before the beginning began. <laughs> if you're there before the beginning began, then you must be the beginner, right? And so what Jesus Christ did, and here's what the passage goes on to say, it says, how many things, John 1, 3? All things came into being by him, and apart from him, there is nothing. In other words, there is no creation without him. What does that mean? Jesus Christ is the creator. He created everything. And the sweeping statement in Colossians 1 includes angels. Go back to Colossians 1. And we'll take a little closer look at this before we move on. Colossians 1, actually verse 16. It says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. So, Visible things are clear, all the different animals and species. Uh, there's all kinds of different insects. There's all kinds of different animals and species. It's incredible. Flowers, think of everything in the universe. All things were created, both in the heavens. That means that Jesus made the stars. He made the constellations. He made everything in them, in the heavens, notice. On the earth, all the different uh, plants and animals and human beings, he made you and me. Things that are visible and what? Invisible. Now, the invisible is given more detail. It includes thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This, these four phrases here encapsulate what theologians would call ranks of angels. Jesus made the angels. Now, the Colossian heresy that I told you about a few weeks ago said that Jesus was one of many emanations from God. Here's what the Gnostics or the Colossian errorists taught. They said, there's a God out there, but all matter is evil, so he didn't really make the world. And there was all these different go-betweens between God and the ultimate creator of the world. Jesus may be kind of at the top, but there's all these different emanations between. And in essence, they were saying that they're basically angels. But this verse says that Jesus made the angels. He's not an angel. He made the angels. Are you with me? So he can't be a created being. As high-ranking as angels may be, as glorious as Michael the archangel may be, he's my favorite in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> Still, it's a pretty big demotion to go from being the creator to something created. 
Some people say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. If you try to demote God, it's a pretty serious thing. I would imagine that God takes it personally. Right? If you want to say someone who claims to be God is not God, then you're putting yourself in a pretty tough spot. And so it does say that Jesus made everything. The Greek professor Daniel Wallace put it, he says, Paul makes it clear throughout this epistle that Jesus Christ is the supreme creator. He made everything, everything in the world. He made you and he made me. And he loved us so much that he came into this world to save us. That's the incredible truth about the person of Jesus Christ. By him, all things were made. Now, you say, well, okay, if the Jehovah's Witnesses go with this whole firstborn thing, what do they do with verse 16? Well, we often get ourselves in trouble when we isolate verses. We always need to read verses in what? In their proper context. So if they keep reading, they'd be okay, but here's what they do. They insert the word other. So here's how their version reads. For by him, verse 16, all other things were created both in the heavens and the earth, visible and, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all other things have been created by him and for him. Now what their, uh, their, the people who did their translation called the New World Translation say is that they put the word other in there to help explain the passage. Well, the word other is not in the original. Now, sometimes they say, but sometimes translators will put words in there to clarify meaning. They do it to clarify meaning, not to change meaning. Very important point. When you are taking Greek and Hebrew into a receptor language like English, and you see a sentence that needs to be clarified because there's not a great English word that directly translated, translates that, you might use a, a couple of different words to bring clarity not to change the meaning. So what they did is they added the word other in there, and what it does is change the meaning, and, and they think that that gets them off the hook because then Jesus can somehow be created. Now go to Isaiah 44 for a second, Isaiah 44, and look at verse 24 with me. If you study the Old Testament, you'll find that Isaiah chapters 40 through 48 are an incredible section where God says, I am the only God, there is no other God uh, before me or after me, I am it. There was no God formed before me, nor shall there be one after me. Let's just take a, a peek at this emphatic statement. Uh, 44.6, Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is what? No God besides me. Now what happens is in some of these circles where people embrace this, what we call this Arian heresy, they say that Jesus is a, a God, and in the Jehovah's Witness translation of John 1.1, 1, 1, they call him a God. Okay, well, so they're, they're saying that Jesus is some sort of lesser God. He's not almighty God, but he's still, he's still a pretty great one. He's like a, maybe a mighty God, but not almighty God. But there's only really one category of true deity. Isaiah 44, 6 says, I am the first and I am the last, and there is what? There is no God besides me. Just look back at Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe me, 43, 10, 
and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there will be what? None after me. The true God did not make a second God or a bunch of different God-like characters or angels or whatever. In between him, there's one God. He didn't form a God after him. There was no God formed before him. If you have to form a God, then he isn't God. If you have to be made, then you're not God. This, this whole section, by the way, is really mocking the gods of the nations in the, in the ancient world because they would form a god, they would, they would make an idol, and then they would make sure that their god wouldn't fall down. Okay, are, are you okay? Don't. And then there's a great story of the god Dagon in the Old Testament. Remember what happened to Dagon? Dagon fell. Right? And the priest had to come in and pick up the pieces, right? Let's, let's super glue. We got any gorilla glue over here? They, if you have to put your God back together, I think you might want to change religions. Now in Isaiah 44, 24, thinking of this context, notice what the verse says. 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am maker of how many? Of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself, spreading out the earth all alone. Now, if Jesus is the first and greatest creation of God, and he's a junior partner in creation, and this is what these groups say. They say, well, what happened was Jehovah made Jesus, and then he made all the creation through Jesus. So Jesus was made, and then he made the planets, and then he made everything else, and, and, and the angels or whatever. But, but Jesus was a junior partner in creation. He was there. Maybe even he created things, but it was by the power and authority of Jehovah. Wait a minute. The Bible just said in Isaiah 44, 24, that God, the God who made all things in 44:24, middle of the verse, he stretched out the heavens by himself and he spread out the earth. What's your Bible say? By. All alone. This means clearly that Jehovah or Yahweh, which is the name that's used here, is the one who made everything. There wasn't some partnership between a, a created being after Yahweh uh, existed. He existed forever. And this means that Jesus, of course, is the eternal creator. There's no way around it. Back to Colossians. He has the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One writer says, by studying the creation, one can gain a glimpse of the power, knowledge, and wisdom of the creator. The sheer size of the universe is staggering. The sun, for example, has a diameter of 864,000 miles, 100 times that of the earth. It could hold 1.3 million planets the size of earth inside of it. The star Betelgeuse, however, has a diameter of 100 million miles, which is larger than the Earth's orbit around the sun. It takes sunlight traveling at 186,000 miles per second, about eight and a half minutes to reach Earth. Yet that same light would take more than four years to reach the nearest star. Alpha, Alpha Centauri, some 24 trillion miles from Earth, the galaxy to which our sun belongs, the Milky Way, contains hundreds of billions of stars. And astronomers estimate that there are millions or even billions of galaxies. 
What they can see leads them to estimate the number of stars in the universe at an incredible number. I think they say billions upon billions. Uh, th that is roughly the number of all grains of the sand on all the world's beaches. Just think about the implications of this. Christ, the one who came to save us and die for us, made everything. Wow. All I can say is wow. You know, when we understand how great our God is, how he created this massive universe, then to see how he left the glories of heaven and set aside the prerogatives of deity for a season to come and live that perfect life, die on the cross, and rise from the dead. Wow. What an amazing God. What an amazing love. And what an amazing Lord we serve. Well, can you believe it? It's already February. Time really flies when you're having fun and doing the Lord's work. And we have plans to get Walk in Truth on more radio stations, but we can't do it alone. We have a big God, but he does use us to partner in the gospel work. And we could really use your financial support. If you've just listened to us today for the first time, I'm not asking anything of you, but to continue to listen to the program and be blessed and grow in your faith. I hope you draw closer to the Lord as you do. If you're a family member, if you're an ongoing listener, if you consider Walk in Truth daily listening and part really of your walk with Jesus Christ, would you consider partnering with us financially? Please give us a visit, walkintruth.com. And as a thank you, when you visit and you give, this month we'll give you a copy of the book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's a book I've written to help you deal with temptation. I'll get you a signed copy for your donation this month. Check it out at walkintruth.com. Well, I just want to say thanks again for listening today. Be sure to tune in next time on this station for the conclusion of this teaching, The Preeminence of Christ. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.